Welcome back to the Nostalgia Junk Podcast. This week, Kyle and I review our top five horror films of 1981. This show contains badass material and foul f-ing language. Some people may find offensive. What else did you expect? Nostalgia Junk really whips the llama's ass. I'm Lisa. And I'm Agnes. And together, we are Sass and Sips, a watch rewatch podcast. We want to personally invite you to check out our podcast, where we'll be discussing TV shows from two perspectives. One who has seen the show before. And one who's not so sure. While we drink a lot. <laughs> I mean, like a lot, a lot. <laughs> Every season, we will focus on a new show. And for our first season, we have chosen the iconic show, Lost. We hope that you will come over and check us out. We can be found on your favorite podcast platform or at sassandsips.com. If you're down for drinks, friends, and television, then make sure you listen and subscribe. Because we're down for all of it. Yes. So listen with your bestie. Open your favorite bottle and sip and sass with Sass and Sips. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagney with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes. 1981 was a really strange year for pop culture. One of the strangest yet most iconic cars of the 80s debuted in 1981. Of course, I'm talking about the DeLorean, but just as fast as it emerged on the scene, it disappeared. Rush, one of the greatest Canadian power rock trios of all time, released one of the most iconic rock albums of all time, Moving Pictures. Legendary music icon Bob Marley passed away at the age of 36 from skin cancer. The song Betty Davis Eyes, performed by Kim Carnes, was the number one single for nine weeks in a row. Did you know that was actually written for Rod Stewart? One of the strangest and most elusive food creations debuted in 1981. That would be the McDonald's McRib. Why do you think that was? Originally designed to feature a love triangle between Popeye, Olive Oil, and Bluto, Nintendo rebranded the concept and Donkey Kong was born. In 1982, however, the carpenter would be changed to a plumber named Mario, who was named after the landlord of the Nintendo warehouse in the Seattle area. 
Kurt Russell starred in John Carpenter's Escape from New York, The Royal Wedding between Lady Diana and Prince Charles, one of the most prolific entries in television history, music television, of course, MTV, debuted with the video, Video Killed the Radio Star. The IBM PC, or personal computer, debuted in August of 81. The Smurfs made their debut. Olivia Newton-John's physical stayed at the number one spot on the Billboard 100 for 10 weeks. A lesser-known artist by the name of Prince opened for the Rolling Stones and was booed off the stage. And one of the most important entries on this list for Kyle and I is when Lars Ulrich met James Hetfield and formed Metallica. You think you got it together? I think so. Last year, we tried to do the 1980 because that was would have been the 40 year. But that was our our remote session that didn't work out so well. I think we can both agree The Shining was the best horror. Yeah, I think we did both agree on that, didn't we? I think so. I think so. I mean, we might as well have. Yeah. said, How do you get better than The Shining? Seriously, like it really... It reinvented horror. I'm sure to a 1980 horror audience, The Shining had the same oomph and explosive whoa moments to an audience that like Hereditary or Get Out or Lighthouse had for us. Yeah, it would have been amazing to see that on the big screen for the first time with a bunch of other people to seen it on the big screen for the first time, you know? <laughs> oh, and people were naive and went to movies and actually believed everything. It was great. Oh, I miss the movies. I know. Do you know what's really cool? Speaking of this, Jaws 2, there are reaction videos. You can hear the audience, just the audio, and you can hear them going, oh! And it would <laughs> be like, it would be so incredible to see that, right? Yeah, I think I even heard a clip along those lines for Halloween where, and you could even tell which scene it was. It was the scene where um, he lifts up uh, when she thinks he's dead and he's in the background and he slowly lifts up while she's like cowering on the floor. And everyone's just like, oh, my God. no, no. <laughs> you just see, I, I just imagine seeing it for the first time. Yeah. Done. 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 Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> <laughs> Nerds. <laughs> I know what's funny is that we know exactly what that sound is, but to like maybe some other people that they'd be like, what are they doing? See, like this this conversation right here has nothing to do with the fact that we have a podcast. This is how we actually talk to each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's good about 1981 is that uh, there's a lot of movies we've come to realize that it was kind of a real weird golden era for yeah. horror films in particular. Like it was just so new, maybe like everybody was just trying things for the first time. There's a real independent spirit with like those early slasher films from the eighties where it's like, you could just do whatever you want, throw everything at the wall and see what happens. Uh, and a lot of great horror films came out in 1981. For some reason, that was the year that the slasher broke, I guess. <laughs> well, that is when it was still fresh. Yeah. It wasn't oversaturated at that point. Granted, there were a lot of them, but I don't think it was the fact that they were slashers. They were just the new wave of horror movies, period. Mm -hmm. So 1980, it's hard to replicate a Kubrick horror like The Shining in 1980. But again, riding on the coattails of 78's Halloween, uh, 1980, Friday the 13th, you saw massive profit. 
mm. with low budget. So that was more of the trend. It wasn't so much the quote unquote slasher. It's that's what it became mainstream horror. Uh, because it, uh, you know, it, it, its audience was actually the people being killed in the movies. A kind of a metaphor I just thought of would be like, I guess the cool thing about, like you said, it was when uh, you, the, the studios realized that horror films could be profitable and there was a certain type of movie all of a sudden that was just like super popular. Let's say mainstream studio Hollywood drama would be like a nice meal, a nice fine dining meal. Whereas <laughs> the, the horror film is like the chocolate and like the pepperoni and the pepperoni and the, you know, like it's just like quickly devoured, not the really the best for you, but everyone loves it and everyone just wants to eat as much of it as they can. I really like this. You don't feel the greatest after you you watch it. You're like, oh. Do you know what? This is the definition of our show title. This is nostalgic. <laughs> yeah. And we are digging in deep to some empty calorie slasher flicks the formula yeah was very maybe a lot of them were kind of paint by numbers you know cut paste different sections but but we can't be so critical because that's no different than really mainstream cinema period oh just like any hollywood comedy any hollywood romantic comedy it's all you know you find a formula that works and i mean that's just how that's just how it goes you know early slashers they just seem dangerous or something you know Ooh, yeah yeah, there's like a taboo element of watching yeah. gritty grindhouse kind of personal POV horror. Yeah, and even as a kid watching them, I mean, at 1981, I was one year old. But even just as a kid watching horror films, that was always the allure anyways. It's like, you know, watching something you're not supposed to watch. What do you drink? Are oh, you're drinking Galaxy, eh? I'm onto the Galaxy. You know what? I've got one tonight um, inspired by yourself. It's called Cold Har- Coal Harbor Red. Ah, by North. Yes, I do like that one. But check this throwback. Wow. Keith's Stag's Head Red Ale. Now, for anybody from Halifax, Stag's Head was the restaurant bar that was attached to the Alexander Keith's Brewery downtown Halifax, Alexander Keith's legendary brewery um, that you know now is kind of corporately owned and um, mostly brewed out of Ontario, let's say. But this one, they're trying like their hand at some craft beers. Of course. It does say on the can, brewed in Halifax. Well, it helps. We've just run out of Keith's draft. Out of Keith's? Out of Keith's? The, the pride of Nova Scotia since 1820. Alexander Keith died for that beer, and you let the taps run dry. Everyone, rise up. We must go. Everyone, who's with me? Who's with me? Bottle okay? Oh, bottle, yes. <laughs> Oh, crap. All right, look away. Look away. Anything to catch us up on, Kyle? Have you watched anything recently that takes you back? So, actually, yeah, there, this isn't a horror movie. Um, okay, I don't want to hear about it. No. Yeah, yeah. But this is a movie, and this does take me back to, uh, I, I would say, my teens, uh, late high school kind of teenage years, when... I was kind of when you first get into movies, what do you do? You get into directors and then you mm. want to see every single movie a certain director has made. So with me, of course, Quentin Tarantino, John Carpenter, but then one filmmaker that I just was obsessed with and has my, made my favorite movie of all time, Taxi Driver. Um, I started going through all of Scorsese's movies and through that found 
The Color of Money by with Tom oh. Cruise and Paul Newman. And like for a while, there was even like an obsession with Nine Ball after watching that movie. Like me and my buddies would all go out to the, <laughs> we just loved that movie. And then we loved Nine Ball, even though we probably weren't very good at it. Yeah. But Paul Newman is amazing in that movie. He aged well in terms of looking back. Exactly. Yeah. I, and I was really surprised. Maybe at the time I was more a fan of Tom Cruise, let's say. Um, but then I was watching a Scorsese movie. But man, watching it the other day, I really realized how awesome and how like charismatic and just how like, um, you know, whatever that the it factor is like Paul Newman is cool and he has it, you know, and definitely. So, yeah, yeah, that's one for me. What about you? Yeah, I rewatched the Evil Dead remake. It's amazing to think that like I went into watching the Evil Dead remake with high expectations, but also I was very excited because I actually trusted that it was going to be good. Mm. I didn't know it was going to be that good. Yeah. And, and and that good in the sense that it captured the uh, really, really charming elements of uh, practical effects and feeling like the actors are actually tormented while making it. It is an example of a movie that really exceeded um, expectations, probably because also like, remakes and reboots you know aren't historically always the best thing uh definitely not received i guess as well as they would hope um but that evil dead remake man like it's it's crazy and it's really gory it satisfies that like for gore pounds or whatever um yeah the, the slight nods to the original and story points of the original but also yeah you're right keeping it updated the end of that movie yes. when like the hell opens up and it starts raining blood, literally. Raining you know? blood! <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's crazy. That's my third Tom Araya impression in the last three weeks. War Ensemble! <laughs> okay, well, cool. Um, well, let's dig into it. It's definitely not like talked about a lot. Um, but for a sequel, and especially I like sequels that start right when the first movie ends, like oh. Evil Dead 2 with Evil Dead 1. And, mm-hmm. um, but this one is just mm-hmm. Halloween 2. There you go. I like it. Yep. <laughs> you know, also I like, uh, what I like about Halloween 2 is that it's very, um, it's, like really, it's, uh, it's almost meaner mm-hmm. than, more mean-spirited than Halloween 1 is. Especially with, remember that, like, he turns up the heat in that hot tub kill? And that's pretty brutal. That <laughs> it's like, is. It's, like, needlessly cruel, you know? Actually, I put that in my number seven slot out of, okay. out of my top ten. Mm-hmm. So, number seven, I chose Halloween 2. The continuity is that it picks it up right, it just continues right, right from one to the next. Now, granted, Carpenter wanted nothing to do with it. It was just, there was a payday involved. He said, sure, why not? Rick Rosenthal directed Halloween 2. Loomis is kind of the feature of the movie as Mm. more of a character study, less about Michael Myers, but more about the doctor and, um, you know, how he sacrifices himself for Laurie. That kind of pressure was infused into Halloween 2 where it was like, well, let's get some more kills. Let's get some more blood. And less about like that brooding, pulsating, tense um feel that carpenter had which i think honestly works best for for sure myers and uh and we saw that again recently in the most recent boot to halloween halloween 2 very cool very cool pick there was something else that i've done 
I took an average based off of just Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb. So the average for this one, out of 10, it came in at a 4.85. Oh. This era of horror movie, even if it comes in at like a 50% rating, a 40% rating, it's still a fun time. It's still fun. And I think that's because we're nostalgic to that style of movie. So anyway, exactly. Halloween 2, number seven for me, honorable mention for yourself. This one, this one's interesting. And I think this one kind of gets overlooked. The Prowler. I wanted so badly to know more about this movie. I've never seen The Prowler. You haven't? Mm-mm. Oh, I that's know. cool though. The kills are fantastic in it. It's Tom Savini's most favorite work. He has gone on record to say this is his most favorite body of work that he has completed. It is a slow paced slasher. It has a unique setting in it. And I think what's really cool is that the the killer, the slasher, is in a soldier's getup, which is very unique. And so um, say what you will about the movie in terms of, you know, if it's mediocre or not. I think it's actually pretty unique with its ratings. An average, it came out at 6.4. Whoa. Higher than Halloween 2. Yes. And I think I think partially due to um, just what it had to offer to the slasher genre, which were great, great kills, good effects and originality just for the slasher alone. Hmm. What do you got? Um, This is one that I saw a long time ago and then only rewatched mostly out of curiosity. Now, I don't know where you fall on Lucio Fulci. I've just never been the biggest Lucio Fulci fan. I can sure. appreciate, you know, for what for what it was or what he was trying to do. And I especially love, I mean, I love Dario Argento and I love like that Italian style of film, but for some reason I was just never into Lucio Fulci. Um, however, uh, one thing I just definitely agree on and that a lot of people agree on is the beyond is probably uh, yes. his, his best movie. It's actually, it's actually, it's very incoherent plot wise, but what it makes up, how it makes up for that is just like extremely beautiful visuals. Um, the music is amazing and it's just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like actually a movie you could probably even watch with the sound off because none of the dialogue or story points really make sense. Really? You know, it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, there's the, yeah, there's a ho- old hotel and the gates of hell have opened. And now it's like, you got to stop the gates. I don't know, but it's just, it's a, it's a really cool movie in that it's, um, beautiful to look at and yeah um, definitely i would say the most accomplished of whatever fulci is trying to do you know or whatever he it, like he came with his best stuff in the, in the beyond oh nice so, yeah, i do love i do like the beyond i definitely didn't put this in as a good entry but i do want to bring it up anyway and i think it's a fun little anecdote so uh james cameron as we know accomplished director in his own right of course he was the director for piranha 2 the spawning (laughs) in an interview james cameron said the movie gets better halfway through when seen at the drive-in with a six-pack of beer hey i'm down for that (laughs) i'm okay with it i'll do a couple very very quick because i don't want to miss them i think they're worth mentioning the howling directed by joe dante yeah, uh, of course, starring D. Wallace. Excellent. Probably the second best werewolf movie of all time. It's practical effects and wolf transformation is pretty amazing, but they hold back on it 
And uh, the most iconic wolf transformation from that movie actually happens at the end. Mm -hmm. So anything that you've seen leading up to it was actually really good. And then they completely like whip that right out of the bag. You're like, holy shit. That's pretty cool. I haven't seen that in so long. I mean, Joe Dante, come on. Gremlins? Gremlins. He did that before Gremlins, right? Oh, yeah. What was it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. David Cronenberg's Scanners. Hey, another movie um, that was going to be on my embarrassed to say I've never seen. Really? I thought you would have seen this one. So I rank this at number eight. Michael Ironside, solid performance. Equally campy as it is solid. Excellent setup, story development, trying to explain science fiction origins, their backstory, their powers, etc. Everything's explained very well in the movie. The special effects. That's, that's the hook of this movie. The exploding head. We all know that gif. Yeah, that's, that's, what, that's how iconic that scene is because i've you know i have never seen scanners but i know the exploding head you know from scanners come on they they reference it in uh, wayne's world oh yeah did you ever see that scene in scanners when that dude's head blew up (laughs) (laughs) which which was a rigged up dummy that was blasted with a shotgun and the final showdown where the veins were busting out through the top of the skin so bad that it was actually breaking the skin and the blood was spurting out. And it's such a nasty scene and it's so good and so well done. Like I watched the scenes today and I'm like, that looks incredible, especially for 1981 and a Canadian movie because we always get, you know, shafted in many regards there. That's true. Because you haven't mentioned this one, it's actually going to be higher on your list. So I'm going to skip it. I'm going to, it's going to, I'm going to skip it. You think? I think. So I'm going to go to this one. And this one is my number five. Happy birthday to me. Hey. Someone's having a party for the top ten. The senior class snobs. Before they get to celebrate, six of them will die in the most bizarre ways you'll ever see. It's a Canadian slasher. Multiple twists like red herrings, all that stuff. It's got it in there. And I think it's because there's about like four or five writers involved in this story that they couldn't agree on how to end it. One of the writers, John Saxon. So I got to give it up for him, obviously, on that one. The kills in it are incredibly uh, creative. Obviously, the shish kebab through the mouth that we see on the cover. That was the again, this is a this is a case of the VHS being more iconic than the movie itself. I give that one my number five entry with an average rating of 4.05. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that is a great cover. Uh, yeah, I've never seen it. I uh, did not expect that to be in the top five, but uh, I want to see it. Do you have that? Sure, I do. All right, so my number five, I'm going to cheat um, just a tiny bit because it's not a theatrical movie. It's a made-for-TV movie. Really? And it's one, It maybe it holds an extra special place because it's a movie that i hear about for so long like through room work magazine and and different articles or whatever but it was just never available to be seen and all of a sudden it showed up on the roku channel uh free to stream so i finally got to watch this movie and it's awesome it's called dark night of the scarecrow and it was produced for cbs in 1981 october 24th so like right around halloween very cool 
tonight on the CBS Saturday Night Movies, this gentleman saved this little girl's life, but they accused him of harming her. Do this ourselves. And he was tragically murdered. Now, one by one, the men of this town are dying. Who is his avenger? Is it the dead man's grief-stricken mother? They killed my boy! The little girl who loved him. I know what you did to brother. Or could it be the Scarecrow? Night of the Scarecrow, coming up next. If you know me, you know I love revenge stories. You know I love to see comeuppance. And these guys... <laughs> these comeuppance? One, they get comeuppance, like, <laughs> just, like, so much of it. Um, but Bubba, the, so the mentally handicapped man, played by Larry Drake. And do you know who Larry Drake is? Remember Dr. Giggles? Oh, really? <laughs> so it's like a young Larry Drake in 1981. But it's just a great revenge story. Simple, simple story wrongful death comes back to haunt the people that killed him and like one by one he gets them you know what i mean that kind of story that's excellent so for a made for tv movie though it was like really dark and like really violent so once i finally got to see it i was just like i like this movie i'm gonna give it the love and i'm gonna put it my top five 1981 horror movies that's awesome all right my number four and has probably one of the most iconic camp kills of all time and that's, of course, the wrath kill that happens in The Burning. Hey, that's my number four, too. The Burning. I was wondering how many we're going to like match up on. Of course, this movie features a young George Costanza. Jason, Jason Alexander, Alexander. With hair. With hair. <laughs> he's a condom-peddling um, sleazeball in that movie. And I love it. I love it. I love seeing him that's like Tom that. That's Tom Savini, too, right? So Tom Savini, obviously, this is a really, really amazing kill. It's one killer taking out like what, like five kids on a raft mm. um, with like gardening shears, like brutal. And it comes out of nowhere. It's almost like the reveal of Jaws. It's almost like a jump scare. And it just lasts for like a couple of seconds. But carnage on that raft. <laughs> All the kids, see. they chop their fingers off. They go through the throat like it oh, is yeah. brutal. Yeah, I haven't seen um, but. but I think Cropsey is an underrated slasher. Yeah. He is horribly disfigured. And mm-hmm. obviously, this is the anti-comeuppance. He's going to get his comeuppance. What's, yeah, it's interesting about it is, it's, you know, it is a revenge story, but it's his revenge. I mean, obviously, these new kids don't deserve it, but the wrath of just like this guy that was wronged, you know, that got killed you know, by these idiots or whatever. But yeah, I always love those kind of stories. Very, very cool movie. And I think that that's, it's not that it's overlooked. I think it's now being looked at quite well. I would say so too. Yeah. Like I remember um, not, I didn't know about the burning for, I would say in the last definitely 10 to 15 years, let's say through magazines like room work again and different publications helped to really push this, you know, give the burning its due. And it is a really great summer camp slasher. Really well done, really well made. Great movie. Yeah. Very, very cool. All right. The burning has an average rating. Oh yeah. 7.2. Oh, see, I mean, that's, that's good. You know, that that's almost the highest ranking on this list that I made. All right. So number three, uh, and this movie's surprisingly more fun than I remember. Uh, definitely funnier than I remember. 
Um, when I first watched it, maybe I was younger and it was like, you know, just I, I took it at face value for what it was, a monster movie, a werewolf movie, let's say. Um, ah. But then going back to it, man, this movie's funny and it's really fast and really well paced, really well acted, really well written. Uh, and of course, it's by John Landis. It's an American werewolf in London. Oh, not Wolfen? Not Wolfen. No, I didn't put Wolfen on the list. Uh, a 1981 horror comedy written, directed by John Landis. Uh, follows two backpackers, David and Jack, who are attacked by a werewolf while traveling in England, causing David to question whether he will become a werewolf under the next full moon. Spoiler alert, he does. And he also meets somebody... And like they, uh, there's just a lot of great sequences, especially like his buddy. Spoiler alert again, if you haven't seen American Werewolf in London, but he gets killed and then the other guy just gets bitten, turns into werewolf, but his ghost of his best friend haunts him and he gets, he keeps rotting and rotting more and more as he, as he shows up. And, but he's just full of these great lines and he just always, he's just like, he's like his Jiminy Cricket to his Pinocchio. Yeah. You know, he shows up just to like, you know, give him shit or give him wisdom, I guess. And, Cause he's like, you know, you're going to become a werewolf, right? Like this is happening kind of thing. It's just a great movie. David Naughton's performance is stellar <laughs> in that. And that's my number two entry. Oh, okay. With an average rating of 8.1. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty universally loved. I would say great, great makeup effects. Is that oh. Rick Baker? So Rick Baker received the first ever special effects Academy award wow. for this movie. For the hand. Also, what's the bar? Remember the bar in the, in the, the in the middle of the moors, the pub, the slaughtered lamb. Yeah, 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 something like yeah. that. Yeah, just yeah. a great, great setting, great story. You know. Also, really, just a special shout out to John Landis. Did um, to parallel it with that werewolf is he did the music video for Michael Jackson's Thriller. Also, a yes. great werewolf scene. Animal House, Blues Brothers, American Werewolf in London. Of course, the segments Prologue and Time Out from the Twilight Zone movie in 1983, which I love. Prologue. Uh, so great. So, so good. <laughs> My number three. Most effective follow-up to a movie to start a franchise. And I'm talking about Friday the 13th, Part 2. The day you count on for terror is not over. Friday the 13th. Part 2. I mean, I knew you had to put a Friday the 13th on here. Well, come on. I've only got one option in 1981. But um, <laughs> with with an average ranking of uh, 4.45, how can I say no to it? Uh, it's the kills. The machete to the head and the buddy on the wheelchair. That's a fantastic one. And he just all the way down the stairs. And he's got the just sticking out of his head. But I think the big takeaway from here is one of the strongest final girls in any slasher film. And it was Amy Steele. She she really knocks it out of the park. She does a very, very solid job. I love the ending. She says, okay, well, I got, I'm going to put on the sweater. I'm going to tuck my hair behind my ears like his mother had. And, and I'm going to pretend. And I'm going to use psychology on him. And he, she brought him to his knees. Mm-hmm. Of course, th- that that's not all that needed to happen. But, you know, it is a Jason movie. So, yeah, I still think I still think he's alive in this one. He's still human in mm-hmm. this one. OK. Yeah, I've never seen it, man. I know. Yeah, well, you know what? And, and, and I make that face. And of course, if you're listening, I was shocked. But <laughs> um, 
it's it's something about um watching these kind of canonical um chuckle fests like you gotta watch them just to knock it off the list yeah you got it you can say you watched it yeah i should watch i should do we should do a marathon of all the friday the 13th at some point i'm totally down with that totally <laughs> i know you would be friday 13 part two 4.45 love it it's my number two yeah i think you you were saying i probably was going to mention this so let's see if it's the one you were thinking of i wanted so bad for this to be in my number one well, there's only one that can be number one. For 1981. Yes, for 1981. Um, so I, I could not, you know, in good conscience, I guess. I mean, I, I, I guess I could. No, I'll leave this in number two because it definitely means a lot to me being from Nova Scotia mm-hmm. um, and growing up. And it's, it, this is another movie like The Burning that has only grown in stature over the, the last little while. Quentin Tarantino calls it one of his favorite slashers. But in 1981, Paramount Pictures and a crew went to North Sydney, Nova Scotia. Yes, boy. And made a little, <laughs> yes, boy, <laughs> with a bunch of like, <laughs> and they, like Canadian act, like actresses, like Cynthia Dale. She was like in Street Legal or whatever, those like classic Canadian. Anyways, um, the story, another revenge. A lot of the running theme is revenge type slasher kind of killing stories uh, of a minor named Harry Warden, who takes revenge on a bunch of kids who dare to celebrate on the night that he was left alone to die in a mine. And that movie is My Bloody Valentine. Of course. Of course. (laughs) In this town on Valentine's Day, everybody loses their heart. It looks like Harry Warden's back in town. In the town of Valentine Bluffs, there are many ways to die. Take your pick. My bloody Valentine. What a great movie, man. Really cool kills. Now, one of the sad parts about the story or the production is that he had filmed a bunch of this, like all these kills, but then they kind of scrapped it and they said he couldn't use it or something. So he had to reshoot a lot of it, more violent than they originally anticipated. And they had to cut a lot of it out. So that footage does exist in the special edition, but it's just not included in the theatrical, I guess. But yeah, they cut nine minutes of death. There's a lot of good stuff in those cut. Those cuts. Which, <laughs> which when you think about, you know, a death scene in a horror movie that's worth cutting, it's pretty quick. So if you've cut nine yeah. out of a feature length film, you've it's a cut lot. a lot of, that's a lot of gore cut. So, um, yeah, the but opening, even just, oh, the opening. The, the, like, I don't even, I still don't know how they did the effect of like the, the pole or the stick or whatever coming through her chest. You can see like the, the point coming through the skin. It's like, man. It's nasty. Yeah. It's nasty. And then the, the other best one is the, uh, the miner's pickaxe through the, the buddy's face and his eyeball socket and his eyes like hanging off. It's just like, uh. Oh, it's brutal. Yeah. But basically, if you are not sure if you're watching the, theatrical release of the deaths or you're watching the attempted restored version easy to tell it's easy to tell because they're grainy as shit but they look amazing <laughs> yeah it almost looks better because it's grainy yeah it's like let's just transfer it all to vhs and then send it out to everybody because no one's yeah. going to notice the cuts but yeah uh my bloody valentine obviously nova scotian setting um not set within the movie but you can tell it's a small town uh obviously sydney mines dressed up as a uh, valentine bluff mm-hmm. uh minor town 
So this one had an average rating of 6.05, and I actually put this one on my number seven. Okay. Number one, 1981, is, of course, Sam Raimi's masterpiece, The Evil Dead. (laughs) Stephen King, author of Carrie, said, Evil Dead is the most ferociously original horror film of the year. If you think he's kidding, see for yourself. Evil Dead, they got up on the wrong side of the grave. Evil Dead, from New Line Cinema. Just what I was talking about before, about, you know, no one to answer to. You make the movie you want to make. You got this small crew. They're, what, 20 years old, 22 years old? Mm. And they just go into the woods with a bunch of just, like, not a lot of money, not a lot of equipment. And, you know, we're just going to make this... You know, how are we, how are we going to do this, this, this shot? Well, we'll just run through the woods with it. I don't know. And it's just like so many things about the Evil Dead that make it iconic. Like it, it's just interesting to, to think about them with no budget, no money, just running around in the woods making a horror movie and everything about it. And that was just an example of everything worked. Everything was perfect. Like, you know, maybe there was some cheesiness in the acting or whatever, but like, yeah, Bruce Campbell, you had just the great, it was really Sam Raimi that i mean this the movie itself is so fast and it's like so funny well horror evil dead is more horror than the second one but um it's just so stylish and so fast and i don't know it's amazing amazing yeah it's a loud movie too like it is it's a it's a nauseating experience when it's too loud honestly and some great yeah some great gore like the um the pencil through the ankle and like gyrates it like it's upsetting. Like it really yeah. is. Like that's one of those ones where like you can you can have a decapitation, cut that person in half and terrify her. Like I'm okay with it because it's just unrealistic and fun. Mm-hmm. But a pencil through the Achilles heel, like anything with Achilles heel, I'm done. I can't watch it. I because I I feel it. To your point, the effects, the practical effects achieved mm-hmm. with almost no budget and a very clear vision from this team was incredible yeah and um like you said like the innovative nature of filmmaking you know like strapping the the camera to a two by four and just running through the woods to get that like yeah yeah it was punk rock really yes exactly it's just it's just you just pick up your instrument and go yep cruising through my list here so last week joe bob showed dead and buried that's a 1981 oh yeah yeah, I woke up. I woke up like in the middle of it, and I was. It was almost like a fever dream. I had no idea what I was really watching. There was another couple here that I wanted to just kind of touch on. The Boogans. Have you ever heard of this? I sent nope. you. I sent you a screen grab of it. So, um, <laughs> the Boogans. The Boogans. Um, so, kind of a fun little backstory on the Boogans. Um, I watched it. I actually really liked it because, as you know, I have a love affair for uh, animal nature run amuck movies. Mm-hmm. It's a product of the team not knowing what they wanted it to look like. So when the effects team said, okay, so what do you want it to look like? They're like, well, you just come up with something. And then they brought it to them. They're like, that's not what a Boogans looks like. Well, what is it? They're like, I have no idea. Oh, my God. So they spent all of this money on this poor effects team. And they lost money by just like having to go back and come up with something. 
Anne-Marie Martin, she played Jessica Esford in The Boogans. She was Wendy in Prom Night. She was Darcy Esmont in Halloween 2. And she co-wrote the screenplay for Twister. Jeez. Weird resume. Yeah, kind of a weird one. Um, I do need to see, and I'm going to point this out, I need to see Blood Beach. Great cover. So apparently there's like a monster that lives under the sand. The five people believed to have drowned here have never made it past the sand. Blood Beach. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, you can't get to it. <laughs> Is that what they really <laughs> went with? Wow. I'm surprised yeah. like Universal didn't have any, anything to say about that. A couple other ones that I watched over the last year that I actually liked for slashers, they weren't really great in terms of like ranking them, but they weren't bad. Final Exam and Night School. Those were uh, those were two that I watched. Yeah, I saw Final Exam uh, on Tubi. I think it was. Uh, it was all right. What did you did you like it? It's not that I hated it. It's just <laughs> it was just you know it was just at some point you're like I got to watch all these slashers. I know it was just I that movie I think fell apart in the end for me. Like the rest, the most most of it was really good, and then all of a sudden I was like, so why is this guy doing this? <laughs> Right, you right, know. yeah. It was, they didn't think of the ending. Yeah, and Night School, so Ken Hughes was the director. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang <laughs> in 1968. So he goes from <laughs> doing that to 1981 Night School. He directed Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? Yes. And then he did some 80s slasher called Night School. Okay, so Hughes was ultimately brought to direct and Night School was his final film. Guess who composed the music? Brad Fidel. Oh. Oh, my God. Here's one. I, 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 tr- I tried to watch it last night. It was brutal. Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. Yeah, I never saw it. Yeah. Uh, Bill Paxton's in it. Okay. But, yeah, the movie was brutal. <laughs> Hell Knight. Linda Blair. Mm-hmm. Do you watch that? No. Nope. Roger Ebert. Gave it a one-star review. You know a movie's in trouble when what is <laughs> happening on the screen inspires daydreams. I lasted through the first reel, and nothing had happened. Now, I was somewhere in the middle of the third reel, and still nothing happened. And by nothing, by the way, I mean nothing original. Unexpected, well-crafted, interestingly acted, or even excitingly violent. Brutal. Wow. So that sums up my experience with it as well. Yeah. Um, how did we not talk about the fun house? You know, I, I may have saw, I may have seen that when I was super young, but I honestly just don't remember it. Really cool but. creature effect. Toby Hooper, obviously Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm-hmm. um, and a very cool uh, carnival horror nonetheless. Mm-hmm. But yeah, cool cover too. We, oh, fantastic cover. Gross cover. In fact, well, Kyle, um, that's another one done. Do you have any closing words for everyone? Watch horror. <laughs> watch, watch horror. Watch horror. Drink beer. Watch horror. Get comeuppance. Drink <laughs> yes, beer. Yes. Always get yeah comeuppance. Yeah, everything. Yeah. <laughs> get your comeuppance. All these movies were huge at that time, and I think I think it's a magical time for cinema. Regardless, you know, the early '80s, um, we see obviously the advent of horror becoming a mainstream through slashers but also because of that and whether or not you like that 
it pushes the envelope for what other films can include in their repertoire of storytelling. I'm Kyle from Nostalgia Junk Podcast saying, We're gonna get you. We're gonna get you. And I'm Matt from Nostalgia Junk Podcast saying, Roses are red, violets are blue, one is dead, and so are you. <laughs>